Hello, how you doing? How are you? Fine, thanks. Thanks for not you, the listener. All fifty-five of them. Thanks for downloading the weekly Curio podcast. I'm the Whip Theaters, Tom Britton, and I'm College of Curiosities, Jeff Wang. We begin the the weekly Curio podcast with the first half of our puzzle. You've got a room, and there are three light bulbs in the room, and there are three switches outside the room. Your task is to figure out which switch controls which light bulb. However, you can only enter the room once, and you can't see the light bulbs from the switches. It can be done. In the movie King Kong. Yeah, 1933. Or the remake. Okay. What drove me crazy is a group of people go to an island to get something exotic we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. They walk past a bunch of dinosaurs... And bring back a freaking monkey. Yeah, no, no. The dinosaurs aren't good enough. We want Oh, a giant gorilla. That's never been a thing before. <laughs> no, you tell me which one we want to see climbing the Empire State Building. Yeah, I think that's true of, of all of them, yeah. Finally, scientists have found the largest example of a dinosaur. To date. I mean, who knows? It could change tomorrow. Tomorrow's a whole new day. Yeah. Titanosaur, which yeah. is a class of dinosaurs. Yeah, they're, the, they're the really big ones, um, you know, like the Ultrasaurus, the Brachiosaurus, the really big ones. This guy is 100 tons. That's 14 African elephants. It's really big. It's an amazing find, stumbled upon by a farmer. Yeah. Some poor guy just out plowing the field, and suddenly, can you imagine bringing up... The bone they've got, just one of its leg bones is larger than a man. Yeah, this is just one bone from its leg. This is not its whole leg. This is less than half of its whole leg. Uh, any dinosaur you've ever seen in a museum, anywhere in the world, I don't care how prestigious the museum is, this thing is bigger. It was discovered accidentally in 2011, so they're just getting to the proper excavation yeah. of it in 2014. 1,300 kilometers south of Buenos Aires yep. is a Patagonian province I'm going to mispronounce it, but it's C-H-U-B-U-T. Chubut, Chubut. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know Sounds the local pronunciation. Israel. A plant eater. All the large animals. Right. From that seem yep. to be, for the big ones. 40 meters. 40 meters from head to tail. It's big. This is a beast. There is video. There is photos. There is audio of the scientists. You got to see this. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's some amazing photos, too, of this guy lying next to this giant, I'm guessing, leg bone. Could yeah, be a like finger a bone, for all I know, on this monster. <laughs> and he's just got his arms crossed lying next to it, just smiling. Just having a, 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 a fine time there. Uh, it's the remains of seven dinosaurs they've found. Broken teeth from, from carnivores. Yeah, they couldn't bite into it. 200 fossils. Uh, where the it's a giant femur that he's lying next to. I just saw it in the article. Yeah. That's a yeah. femur. Yep. Ninety-five million years ago, a long-necked, long-tailed sauropod walked on four legs, and now we're going to rebuild it. What museum's going to house that? Just a single building. That's the whole museum. There will be a lot of money paid for this thing. But I, I think it's an interesting statement on evolution, though. Carnivores come out and they start eating you. How do you evolve to? defeat the carnivores and the answer is you grow big and you know yes. we, we've seen this in some mammals you've got you know like buffalo uh a, a full-grown adult buffalo there's not much taking it down and when they do it's desperate there are yeah. elephants being taken down by lioness packs prize right but only when they are desperate yeah because it's risk the kill, is huge yeah the the yeah. death rate on their end right. the predator's end of their pack that they live that keep saying pack it's a pride yeah. but their group uh it's too high Right. The elephant can kill too many of them before they take it down. 
You saw on Planet Earth is where I saw this, by the mm-hmm. way, that documentary series. Mm-hmm. So that that size really, really decreases the the frequency with which you are assaulted. Yeah, a T Rex isn't even going to. I mean, that's not even the same time period. But you know, there there were no carnivores that could attack an adult one of these things, and uh, and there still aren't. So if we bring it back through DNA reconstitution yeah, on an yeah, island we're somewhere, in trouble. no. However, the amount of energy required to power this beast, this thing. You know, if it's a, if it's, a, it's eating plants, uh, and the oxygen levels on this oh, planet just, aren't high enough anymore, I mean, are it, they? I do. I it it's to sustain that. You can size? see why they're not here anymore. Uh, but still, thankfully they're not here because I got to drive to work. <laughs> still not as big as a blue whale. We are getting older. Uh, yes. Uh, the age people over age sixty have doubled since nineteen eighty. By twenty fifty, over sixty will be two billion. Or 22% of the world's population. Yeah, despite all the stuff you hear about, you know, everyone's overweight and everyone's dying of cancer and everything. that's We're actually living a whole lot longer than we used to. This means the biggest risk factor in the wealthier countries is now old age. Yeah. You're going to die of conditions associated with old age. uh, Hypertension, heart disease, cancer. You're living long enough to get these things. This is an important statistic I learned when you're looking at cancer rates and heart disease rates. In developing countries, you would love to see those go through the roof. Right, because they don't live long enough to get yeah, them. <laughs> at 16, you die of bear attack. You die of war, famine, yeah. pestilence, suicide, right? When the number one cause of death in your country is suicide, cancer, right. this is good news. You're living long enough yeah. for those to be problems. Mm-hmm. Now a researcher, uh, Dr. Walker, believes the key to ending aging may lie in a rare disease that doesn't even have a real name. But they gave it a cool name. Syndrome X. Sounds like a movie or something. It's, it sounds like the beginning of the X-Men, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Four young ladies have been diagnosed with this essentially anti-aging defect in the DNA. Yeah, which If you call anti-aging great. a defect, the side effects are bad. Yeah. But if we could learn what this is and control it, and there's a wonderful article, a magazine piece, Mosaic, which we'd never heard of. Yeah, not no. Find a magazine piece called Mosaic about this, and it covers not just... The science of now you found someone who at age 20 still had their baby teeth. At age 16 was still in infancy or or toddler. I mean, 12 pounds, 16 pounds as as what we would call adults, but they were in no way adults. Yes. That's a remarkable oddity, scientifically speaking. But the, the magazine piece talks about the family's decision whether to allow their child to be used for scientific exper- experimentation. Yeah, so there, there's the weight of the decision you have. Your child or ending aging. Choose one. It's tough. I mean, what do you... I mean, on the one hand, poked and prodded, there's no nice way to do it. No. We don't have Star Trek-style tricorders. No, and these kids are these kids are suffering anyway. These, these were not normal yeah. kids. They had all kinds of problems. One of the things was their frontal lobes were completely smooth. No, no folds at all. They were blind, although... No one's really sure. Anyway, these are, you know, these were kids required constant care, and the parents had to decide whether to make their lives worse. And one set of the parents, every night before bed, that's what the parents discussed. Yeah, was whether or not to make this decision to allow this doctor, and then they would meet with the doctor and talk. What exactly will my child be going through? What can we do to ease mm-hmm. this burden? Fortunately, I think in the long run, they decided to contribute to the world of science. Yeah. Because as hard as that decision was for them, hopefully one day we'll crack this code and statues will be built to these little girls yeah. for ending, you know, or extending the human life cycle. 
It makes for a fascinating sci-fi novel either way. It does. It does. And uh, and so, you know, the, the article doesn't go that much into the genetics of it, but aging is basically caused by your DNA reproducing improperly. There are these things called telomeres or telomeres that are the end of your, your DNA chain. It's like a cap, and they wear out, basically. Every time they're copied, they get a little shorter, and you're basically losing the instructions for you. It's signal, signal degradation, it or it's, it's Xeroxing, copy yeah. of a copy of a, a copy. Make a copy of a copy of a copy. Which no one remembers anymore, but back yeah. when there were cassette tapes. Oh, yeah. Or make Copy your VHS tape six times in a row and see what you've got. Okay, find your VHS tape. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Then find a working VCR. It's a very complicated <laughs> experiment. Then copy it six times in a row. But these these uh, these children had uh, their DNA was different, and they did not have that problem with their telomeres wearing off. And wow, and wow. So you know, it's there's so much to think about with this. I I had a kid, and I did allow experiments to be done on him. Uh, he had a, me- a medical condition, and there was an experimental procedure. And my wife at the time and I spent a long time weighing out. It's for the good of humanity that we allow him to go through this, yet. There is some discomfort. It's a, it's a very 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 difficult thing. And well, and as a parent, your your focus should become very. I don't want to use the word selfish, but it's 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 enclosed. You worry yeah. about your family, your right. family unit. Your job is to do what's best. Screw for your everyone kid. else. That, I'm going to take yeah. care of this one or two or three or how many. My children, my wife, my husband, my partner, blah blah blah. That's evolutionarily necessary. Yeah, you need to get tunnel vision. Right. And then my job as a scientist is to come in and fight millions of years of instinct and crack that tunnel vision open even briefly. And I can't see even the most analytical, even the most engineering brain able to do that. You simply don't. You become a father. You become a mother. You become family-centric. It's necessary. We wouldn't be here without that. No. We certainly wouldn't have microscopes and testing no, equipment right. if we hadn't had a cave person going, no, I worry about that little thing in the corner that's crying first. Yes. And that, that is how it is. You know, there's a starving man on the street and your kid hasn't have dinner, had dinner. Well, your kid's going to have dinner. I mean, that's just how... That's the evolutionary necessity. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I mean. It's, it's not selfish exactly, but it's self-preservation. Mm-hmm. If you extend that one level beyond... Yeah. And I'm sure there's a word for it. I just don't know it. Yeah, sociolo- sure sociologists are yelling oh, yeah. it at their iPod right now. <laughs> but that idea of becoming family-centric in the extreme yeah. is important. And I, I, I'm, well, congratulations to these folks yeah. for just a brief moment lifting that veil and, and helping us all out and possibly preventing that disease in the future at a worst-case scenario. Yeah, you know, there's, there is a thing that any family can do to help advance science, and this is a difficult thing, but there are very few autopsies done these days. They're very rare. People are, don't like the concept, but they need to be done for us to learn. So, you know, have that conversation with your family members. What if you donated your body to science? I mean, you can lay in a box for the rest of eternity until the cemetery goes out of business, or... You know, we can have the service, we can have a stone even, but your body's off doing some good. I mean, just just consider it. Americans, please, the next time you're at McDonald's, supersize your order of jelly balls. Jelly balls. You have to do it for the good of the planet. Yeah, well, that that is true. <laughs> uh. So a company whose name I love, Carolina Jelly Balls. <laughs> No way to make a joke there. No, impossible. No, impossible. This guy named his company a bulletproof. CEO Dick Hertz of Carolina Jelly Balls. That's not his name. Uh, Stephen <laughs> Getzey 
uh, wants to open a processing plant for these, what, what in Carolina and Georgia is called a jelly ball. Yeah. It's a species of small cabbage uh, jellyfish. Yeah. Tiny guys. Mm-hmm. They're the least poisonous, or one of the least poisonous. So they don't sting you. As the seas warm, as the oceans warm, they love it. Yeah. So they are growing at an exponential rate. Think of them as kudzu of the sea. They Yeah, that's basically how they are. Making them a bit of a pest. Yep. Just because they're consuming resources that fish we want to eat mm-hmm. could be using. However, we're not in a choice. We've warmed the oceans. Yep. Or, okay... God warmed them, but they're warmed, they're warmed and the jellyfish are loving it, so we should eat them. And I say yep. we should because in Thailand, where they export them to, they are eaten. They are, yes. We just don't eat them, and that's purely some cultural BS. That's it, all that is. Yep. You were pointing out, just like sushi. Yeah, people, in, you know, in the 40 years ago, sushi, you're going to eat that raw fish. Yeah. And now it's like a delicacy. Everyone wants it. And in one generation, it changes. Yeah. You make your kid shut up and eat your jelly balls. <laughs> you, young man, you will finish every jelly ball on that plate, or there will be no chocolate cake for you. Now, to be fair, they're described as being like chicken gristle. Tasting a little like chicken gristle. Yeah. But um, I bet Alinea could make it work. I bet there's some <laughs> fine restaurants that could really sell this. There's, look, but we can take things and mechanically process them. We can change the taste of things. We can form them into jelly patties and rebrand yeah. them. Give Jelly balls is a well, terrible name. They're protein. They're collagen. They're, you know, they're like tofu of the sea. If you convince a certain segment of Cosmopolitan's demo that they grow better <laughs> nails and hair. <laughs> Which, yes, you could argue. Done. It's a yeah. fad. And now every yoga shop on the corner sells a gluten-free jelly ball. Yep. Low in calories. Done. Done. Low, yeah. Low in fat. Uh, $10,000 a day he thinks he can make by trawling for jellies. A fisherman can make as much money as he makes in three or four shrimp seasons. He wants to open this uh, jelly ball president guy, wants to open a processing plant in the South, process 5 million pounds of jellyfish per week. 5 million pounds. He says it's 100 new jobs. Now he's probably padding it because that's his pitch to the council. So we'll see how many jobs will be produced. But if we could just eliminate them, and the same thing with the Asian carp here in Illinois. Oh, yeah, We're a- Americans. We can eat our way out of any problem. <laughs> there is not a problem on this planet we can't eat our way out of, people. It's, these, these are absolutely true statements you're making. I mean, we, have, we definitely have a carp problem. If, if you're not from the Midwest, there are places here where if you drive your boat, fish will jump in it. They will just jump in it. Big fish, they will hurt you if they hit you. Uh, there are too many of them. They don't belong here. Jellyfish is another thing. Uh, another one of these and in fact there's such a problem that robots have been invented to just swim around and destroy these things worst sci-fi film ever <laughs> worst with a tornado terminator of 5 is a terrible movie <laughs> so i i think that yeah we need to be a little bit more adventurous in our eating and um i, I am i'm down look yeah. i eat uh, onugo whenever i go to the sushi place oh, yeah, yeah, give yeah. me whatever you sea got and love it yeah. give me the octopus give me the squid it's still wiggling Great. I want the exotic experience. I have an adventurous palate. If you cook them, invite me over to your house for a jelly ball grill off. <laughs> I'm the first one in line with a plate. I'm going to have some potato salad and a double helping of jelly balls. And the wins here are we have the shrimping industry, which is actually a little bit in trouble. Uh, Very much so, yeah. You know, we had a couple of oil spills in the Gulf right, that really messed that. up that shrimping industry. And uh, shrimp maybe could use a rest. So, you know, what if we said, hey, you know what? No more shrimp for a few years. We're just going to skip the shrimp, let them grow back. But let's try the new jelly balls. And uh, the disgusting deliciousness of salt rising bread. Oh, this is bad. 
So this is from the American frontier, this idea of if you're out in an area where yeast is not prevalent in the air. Okay. If you've never made sourdough, you mix yeah. water and some flour together into a really gross slurry mm-hmm. and leave it alone, and yeast from the air will infect that sourdough. Okay. Yeast infect, is what rises yes. bread, if you don't know. Infect is... I know it's the right word. It is the right word. Maybe inoculate. Invade. I don't know, but ugh. And in this case, it does inoculate also. The reason you can make this, in a, you put it in a warm place, and then what you do is you feed it. We did this in culinary school. You take a giant container, as big as you can get. Picture a, a small bathtub. Okay. And you put your, your sponge is what it's going to be. Your starter. Your, your sugar, your water, your flour. Mm-hmm. You have nothing in there. You have no yeast pack. doesn't right. exist. Okay. The, or you're in San Francisco, and the yeast in the air tastes distinctly different from yeast anywhere else, giving you a unique sourdough mm-hmm. because the natural flora and fauna of the area. The next morning, there's a little something living in there. You smell a little alcohol, probably not the next morning, but you cut half of it out, throw it away, hmm. and then replace your flour, replace your sugar, replace your water. Okay. Mix it sense. together, put it back in a warm spot. Do this for a few weeks. Eventually, you get this spongy, inflated mass that starts to look more and more like leavened bread before you bake it. It feels very soft. It's very warm. Very warm. Uh, The compost temperature, have you ever done that? And you just keep cutting half off and throwing it away and and feeding. You feed Mm -hmm. the sponge is the term we used anyway. It may (laughs) translate differently. It was a French culinary school. So that may be a French to English thing, feeding the sponge. And now you would have, well, we would have Chicago sourdough. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's whatever's native here. It's kind of like Lambic Ales. Exactly. Yeah. Now you move to an area where it's really, really dry, and you can't take nah, yeast with you. Right. What do you do? Salt rising bread. So yeah. you're taking a different tack to attract a different bacteria than yeast. Okay. Bacillus, which is dangerous. Yeah. The reason I can make sourdough and break all the rules of cooking, I now have something just sitting out at 100 and something degrees. Yeah, Whatever temperature, it makes bad. it. Terrible. Do that with a piece of chicken. I dare you. And then you'll kill (laughs) your whole family. (laughs) You don't do that. That's a rule we're taught. Below 40, above 140. Mm -hmm. I don't know it in in metric. Sorry. Uh, But keep it cold or keep it hot or throw it away. Mm -hmm. Don't serve lukewarm in a restaurant. Breaking the rule because the sourdough yeast is aggressive. It kills everything. It grows fast. So before anything else can get a toehold, I'm done with my starter. I can do what's called retarding it, which is wrap it and put it in the fridge. So even the mold that was on there just got outpaced. And also, yeast is aggressive, so it's kicking the butt of almost anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, if you screw it up, you can poison people with sourdough. It's a little tough to do, but if you're really dumb about it, you absolutely <laughs> can can hurt your family, which is why you go to your local baker and buy a lovely yeah. sourdough loaf, heat it up and butter it. It's a lot enjoy. of work, too. You might as well let them do it. It is. Yeah. This salt recipe, though, what they're using is a more dangerous bacteria because it's all they had. Yeah. And they didn't have baking. The other way you can do it is chemically leaven. Right, which is right. baking mm-hmm. soda, mm-hmm. which has an acid in there with the uh, with the the rock, the bicarbonates mm-hmm. in there, and the other thing is just a bit of like talc, a bit of starch yeah. to keep it loose. And when you add buttermilk, for example, you up the acidity, and poof, yep. it just explodes. That's how you make biscuits or scones, by the way, is artificial or quick breads. Mm-hmm. Those are your two ways. They found a third, and the recipe it, it's crazy. Some of them are different and contradictory. I'm going to read from the article. We'll link in the show notes. If you're a little squeamish, this may not be where you want to be. I won't cover the squeamish part yet. I'll give you a spoiler alert of where they get it from. Uh, The basic process begins with making an unusual starter. You boil milk or water, and you boil it to just the point where at like 110 Fahrenheit, the proteins denature. So if you've made cheese, that's where you start to do that. And then once it's about to boil, 
You pour it over some cornmeal and or wheat flour and a little salt. Now, that's got some yeast in it naturally, mm-hmm. but remember, in this environment we're in, it doesn't take to the air. Right. Let that hot mix sit in a warm place overnight until it gets bubbly and smelly from bacterial growth. So what would normally have been my sponge in this environment mm-hmm. becomes a rotten mess yeah. you're, you're in that environment. Letting it rot. Intentionally. Yeah. Cornmeal and milk accelerate the process and help flavor the bread. You need a lot of flavor, by the way. Rotten corn smells awful. Yeah. Now, now you have a starter, it's called. I call it a sponge. That's a, that's a sourdough starter. You have your starter. Mix that with additional flour and water and baking soda into a batter-like sponge. So now you're you're hybridizing the two to make up for the lack of yeast. Keep it warm a few more hours until it too swells with bubbles. Well, now it's fermenting. Now you mm-hmm. may have enough yeast to go. Then you add enough flour to make a dough, shape it, put it in a pan, and now it's just standard. Now you keep it warm for a few hours until it doubles, yeah. which is just proofing the yeah, bread. Yeah. Now it's pretty standard stuff. But what you've got in there... Is not just yeast and the usual. There's always a little bit of something. Oh, Every yeah. time you swallow, it's your body sterile. can fight it off. Yeah, you're not yeah. a bubble boy. Right. You'll be fine. But you've introduced a whole other level of pathogen and bacteria and <laughs> predator into your bread. And I don't know why you don't just eat a tortilla. I can't. Why does this exist? <laughs> we have love. Make a non bread. Make a tortilla. Make, every Passover, you have a little cracker. What? Come on. You don't need to leaven your breads. That's true. You, if you want to, I'll, I'll link to the popular science article The Disquieting Delights of Salt Rising Bread. How Clostridium? Sounds good. A nasty pathogen makes an infectiously delicious confection. This is the thing that causes gangrene. Okay, now if you're squeamish, here's the part. Yeah. Because one way to get it, give it a pause, Okay. the wounds of dead soldiers. Or dying soldiers. Or dying soldiers. Yeah. It, well, if the limb is dying. You so cut if you've the got limb gangrene. You keep it in the bag and, you know... <laughs> with you oh, on the trail. God. I got my beef jerky. I got my dead soldier's <laughs> no, no, foot. Don't eat that. We need that for making let's, bread. <laughs> let's make us some dinner. Jerky sandwiches. Uh. All right, so I've been traveling a lot lately, which is kind of always, and I've encountered a lot of antique cars. And one thing about cars that are like from 1910 or so is the steering wheel moves. Some cars, it's on the Switches left. Switches side, it's you a, mean. Yeah, there's like, there was no standard. And uh, I thought this was weird because, you know, in the U.S., we drive on the right-hand side of the road, the steering wheel's on the left, so you can have a really good idea where you are in relation to cars speeding towards you. And then in England, that is reversed. And in England, it's reversed. So it made me wonder, so did, why, what was the deal? And uh, so, I, and I just found out from this silly little article is that the Romans, who, of course, built roads, had a system. And they had what we think of today as the English system. You drove on the left, or you rode your chariot on the left. And then comes Napoleon, and he's like, nah, this is the new empire. And he says, screw that. And he makes everyone switch to the right. Did he have a reason? Was he just right-handed or left-handed? No he had a preference? reason mentioned. I'm assuming it was simply to say this. it's a little bit of a stamp of his mark on the world. Is, oh, yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Ego. But I'm going to switch the whole world. We speak English here. So, you know, why the heck is... And it turns out that he 
um, th- that influence came over to French North America and established itself here before the English system. Could. Well, and I'll tell you, as much as we speak English, if you look at our American history, we are very allied with the French. I, absolutely true. Against England several <laughs> times. Right. Yeah, so... Yeah, if it hadn't been for uh, uh, de Gaulle, yeah. General de Gaulle, we would have definitely, if and not Lafayette. lost, we would have been hurt. Yep. Lafayette, and then again, War of 1812, yep, that's against England. The French save our butts. Yep. So up until very recently, we were... Lo- Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson oh, were yeah. in love with France. Uh, literally, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Franklin <laughs> yeah, loved, I think, loving. biblically, half <laughs> yeah. to 30% of France. <laughs> he tore a swath through there, yeah. old Franklin did. So yeah, our, so our English it. alliance is a very sort of new, or our mocking of the French is a very new fad. It I is. Think, we used American to really history. love the French, and and we loved them so much we adopted their side of the road. And now, which explains why the English stuck doggedly to their guns oh, because that, I believe they fought a hundred and eleven year war with the uh, yeah, French. Yeah, they're, they're like, a little, they're a little <laughs> stubborn. Traditional enemies. Yeah. So if you look at the world now, it's divided into, and, and it's kind of funny. It isn't. The French influence isn't what makes the world the way it is now. It's the American influence, but we were influenced by the French. And then the British Empire, of course, said, no, we will do it the way. I've always wondered, though, as someone who drives a stick shift and right-handed. They shift with their left hand. Yeah, in America, I I would love to go overseas and try. Maybe when I'm overseas, I'll see if I can borrow a stick car. Because I'm right-handed, and if you haven't driven in America, or a shifter, the shifter's in your right hand. And I just would feel very awkward with my dumb hand. Yep. Now, if it were I left-handed, I'd probably love to go over there. My understanding is the pedals are the way we recognize them. They don't clutch with their right foot. They clutch with their left foot. But the, the shifter is on the other side. This explains why the Siamese yeah. twins moved to England. <laughs> it was easier for them So the other one could drive. Yeah. The other thing is that um, in the, these old cars I've been looking at, the pedals weren't for what we thought they were for. There was this one old truck. It was a Model T truck. The throttle was like on a ship. It was on the steering wheel, and then there was a spark adjustment. This is how the uh, uh, handicap uh, accessible cars. Yeah, if you're a a paraplegic, it's all hand shifting, and I got a chance to test drive one of those in a parking lot. (laughs) And if you ever get a chance, one, so a friend of mine I went to high school with had had no use of his legs Uh at all. I think he could barely twitch one of his legs. So when he got his car, it was outfitted. Mm -hmm. It was kitted like that. And he let me drive it around the parking lot, ne- the store next to his house. It, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's like playing a video game. Yeah. Now you got your controls where right, your hands right. are. But also, there's a learning curve. Oh, you yeah. can't just jump in. No. And, you know, ten years experience driving does not translate. No. Even if you play Mario Kart all the time. Yep. I was looking at this truck and like I couldn't drive it. If I had to drive this thing away, I couldn't. And there was an old timer on on. It was actually on a boat that this car was. That's a long story. But there was um. He explained to me like. The so, worst place to put a car is on a boat. Well, by the way. this yeah, this was a little <laughs> odd. But you can only go one direction. You got to back up. <laughs> there was no shifter. There's no. This is an old car. I'm expecting a stick the shift. Differential and, shift. Or and what? I was like, all right, so maybe it's like three on the tree. If right, you're old right, enough right. to remember that. No, it was on the floor. One of the pedals was a shifter, and you'd step on it to shift. It was three speed. And you just oh, you know what? That, like a motorcycle. So the like clutch is in your hand. Yeah. That actually might be more efficient. Well, I think the clutch was also on the floor. That's less efficient. <laughs> yeah, so. And then you hit your head on the handlebars for the brake. <laughs> right, and then exactly. your elbow is the turn signal. <laughs> well, yeah, they didn't have turn signals. And then you brake yeah. wind to stop. <laughs> this, was, this was before <laughs> turn signals. Even before, they used to have these things called semaphores. You ever heard of this? I know semaphore. It's like a little mechanical Boy Scouts, arm that stuck out the side of the car as yep. they turn. Um, anyway, yeah, so. That's why we drive on the right and they drive on the left. 
And finally, we say thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to our little show. And we beg you, beg you, beg you to hook someone else. Yeah. The first taste is free. Or if you want us and to talk so about something. And so is the something. second taste. And yeah. If, if you've got a topic you'd like us to talk about and flail around with, let us know. Or a puzzle. We're running yeah, low on yeah, puzzles. puzzles if you can hard. link us to a puzzle website, a puzzle-torium. If you start a website called the Puzzle-torium. We'll look. That'd be great. Or we're going to have to start stealing from Car Talk. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh enough, but I don't snort as often. I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg. All that remains is the answer to this week's puzzle. All right, so there are three light bulbs in a room. There are three switches outside the room. You can only go into the room once, and you cannot see the lights from this the This is light impossible. Switches. It's not. It's not. There is an absolute way to solve this, okay. and this is how. You have three light switches. Light switch number one. You turn it on. Leave it on for five minutes. Then turn it off, immediately turn on light switch two, and go in the room. And you will have three different yeah. states. One light bulb will be hot, one light bulb will be on, and one light bulb will be off and cold. Brilliant! Brilliant.